So welcome today. Subrand wants to welcome Grace Habib of Shop Refuge in Phoenix. And when I heard about your mission, I was so excited and I couldn't wait to call you and, and talk to you. My friend Sylvia actually gave me your information in terms of like donating some fabric or, or helping out in some way. And I just find it a fascinating ministry and a fascinating approach to refugee support. And I just want to welcome you to the podcast. So um, welcome, Grace. Thank you. One thing I want to say right off the bat is that um, the name of it is Shop Refugee. Oh, Shop Refugee. Tell us a little bit about your journey, how you came to Phoenix and how you started getting involved with Shop Refugee or the genesis of, of Shop Refugee. Shop Refugee has a parent organization, Go10, which stands yeah. for Go to Every Nation. Mm-hmm. And so that's a ministry that's helping refugees in the Phoenix Valley, also in Dallas, Fort Worth, and Colorado Springs. And so I moved to Phoenix to participate in that mm-hmm. and work with them as an English teacher because one of our main programs is offering English classes that also help prepare people for their citizenship mm-hmm. exams. So I came here about four and a half years ago. It was March 2018, and I started as an English teacher. And I was really trying to expand our reach Mm -hmm. to more Arab refugees. Um, We had mostly been working with Burmese and Mm -hmm. I have experience uh, with the Arabic speaking community. And so I wanted to expand to that with my little bit of Arabic knowledge and understanding of the culture. So I started a new site called North Site, and that used to be in North Phoenix And then we had two English centers going at the same time. So that has since changed and moved and gone away. But we were going to shut down one of the sites uh, because of an issue with rent and rent rising and it just being more strategic to move to a different space. But I was also feeling like I wanted a change. And in the summer of 2021, that's when the sewing class had started. So at this time, I was still an English teacher. I wasn't involved with it. I really had nothing to do with the genesis of it. Oh, okay. Some volunteers who were volunteering with Go10 were not so interested in volunteering in the English class, but they were seamstresses. And so they were saying, if you started a sewing class, we'd be happy to teach people how to sew. And it all just came together like it often does. Mm -hmm. There was uh, people who had access to fabric and really great seamstresses who could come up with patterns and teach those. And then there was the staff who really didn't know that much about sewing, but we had Mm -hmm. the contacts and we spread the word about the class and it was really successful. People were really excited to learn how to sew or to improve their sewing. Mm -hmm. And they started making products really quickly. And as those products were being made, um, the quality was just increasing and increasing every week. And um, they needed a place, something to do with all of these products. (laughs) So they decided to start Shop Refugee. The idea is like shop local, shop small. Now you can shop refugee-made products. And so they had a website. They were starting out, but it was just people kind of doing it in their spare time on Mm -hmm. top of their already 40-hour-a-week job descriptions. They were trying to fit this in with all their other responsibilities, about three different people. And so I came to them and I was like, I need a change. I just am feeling a little bit burnt out. Working with refugees is really rewarding, but there's a lot of need. And sometimes it can just feel like 
you're putting in effort and you're putting in effort and sometimes it pays off and sometimes it doesn't, but there's really no objective way to quantify Mm -hmm. that. Sure. And so it can become tiresome, not really knowing if the effort you're putting in um, is panning out the way that you wanted it to Mm -hmm. all the time. Cause it's people's private lives just cause I am able to help people. doesn't give me like a right to know what's going on in their private life. So I was in that place. It was about four years in, I just needed a change. And so I came to Goten saying, I'd like to alter my position to some degree at the same time that they were looking for someone to manage the business and really take Mm -hmm. ownership of that. And it was just a perfect fit. I really love to own something and run with it a lot more than I love to maintain something. I'm, I like to grow at things and I like to imagine what they could be and try to make them into that. So I was just really excited for the opportunity. And I came in, I didn't know how to sew. I now know how to sew a little bit, but it wasn't the sewing experience. I just really loved the idea of growing it and mm-hmm. scaling the business. So I rebranded it. We got the feedback that our branding at the time before I came on was fine if we were selling auto parts. Wow. <laughs> wow. But <laughs> we're selling women's accessories. What was the branding? <laughs> we're, we're, my, now you got us curious. It was really similar to the GoTen branding because the same person had done the branding for both. So it was like navy blue and white, mm-hmm. like kind of dark. I would say more like a university branding or... okay. Uh, but this lady was a little harsh. She was like, are you selling auto parts or are you selling accessories? <laughs> but, you know, it, it was harsh feedback. It was before my time. I didn't even receive the feedback. I was it was just reported to me. You know, that's a good <laughs> feedback because it really kind of kicks you in the pants. Exactly. So I was thankful for it. And I think it helped the person who had done it really fully hand it over to yeah. me. And so <laughs> she was done. It's like, I'm done. Okay. It's like, I need, I need somebody else's eyes on this because I, I am closer to the target audience than he was. So I changed it. I got a new logo. Now everything's pink and purple and just very feminine, very fun and mm-hmm. bright. And um, so that's, that's how the branding changed, but we expanded the class. We had two classes, a beginner and an advanced instead of just one singular class. And since then, we were so fortunate in June, we moved to a brand new space. So when it all started, it was in an English classroom and we were setting up folding tables, pulling out um, sewing machines, pulling out fabric, everything like that was just stacked in a pile. We're pulling it out, putting it on tables and then tearing it down once a week. Oh wow! Now we have our own workshop. So we've got 10 spaces instead of six and it's set up all the time. So we went from a 12 person maximum to a 20 person maximum. Wow. And, um, and we're just able to do so much more because you can organize and you can lay everything out. We can take larger donations, which gives us more opportunities to make different things. So it's been a really great summer for us, really big change to move into our new space. One of the questions I had actually kind of touched at the end there was, where are you getting the materials? You you mentioned a lot of it is repurposed or being donated and or being donated. And that piqued my interest. I was curious as to where you were getting that from. We have another contact with a ministry called Loving Covers, and mm-hmm. they've been around a lot longer. What they do is they make blankets and other comfort items for people, and then they donate, they give them to people who can use them. So like maybe somebody's family member passed away or somebody's going through a hard time 
maybe there's like a children's hospital, basically any opportunity that another ministry is trying to reach out to, then they'll provide these hand-sewn items to add to what they're doing. They are a much older organization than the Shop Refugee story. It's only a year old. And so they have a lot more connections and they're in the Chicago area, which is a really big area. Mm -hmm. So they've had a lot of people donating to them for a long time. And we were fortunate to start out with them donating some of their pieces to us, mailing those. So that kind of got us started. From there, I've been trying to figure out ways to locally source it. So as the word spreads, people will just give us what they have extra out of their craft rooms. CityServe is at GCU. Have you heard of CityServe? No. It's Amazon, Walmart, and Costco returns. And then they sort through them and hold them in their warehouse. And then local nonprofits are able to apply to be a hub and they can receive those items and distribute them as they find the need. So that's been really great. And we're there currently their only person that they donate fabric to. So that would be not used fabric, but still repurposed. Mm -hmm. So it's all something that somebody got and then returned for some reason. And so we're using that and um, I'm picking up on Friday from them a whole host of curtains. So we're going to turn those into lining and outside of bags and things like that. That sounds exciting. And it's kind of, it's nice. It does. It's kind of an interesting design problem as well, because I think a lot of people assume that the best way to start a new design project is without any boundaries, but that's really not true at all. The more restrictions you have on a design that you want to start, uh, it's it's easy because it actually reduces what you can do. So if you start with a blue sky, where do you go? But if you already have restrictions, like if you have the fabric you're going to be working with, that already gets, starts to give you some ideas as to what you might do with it and t- can take you in places that you never thought you would go. That's very true. There was a time where we were getting a lot of sheer fabrics and mm-hmm. kind of like silky fabrics, which didn't make sense with the tote bags we were making. So we developed a line of scrunchies and <laughs> now those are a really great line for us. So uh, that's very true. We have to kind of respond to what we're given. From CityServe, I got this mesh netting. Mm-hmm. And I think it's for hammocks. I think that's maybe what oh. it was originally intended for. But we're thinking about making a line of produce bags from it. That makes a lot of sense. Um, that would be so, great. Yeah. Always trying to think eco-friendly. Always trying to think reusable. That's one thing I love about our brand. That wasn't one of the original intentions, but just happened is that all of this fabric is repurposed and it's, it's really good on the environment. Personally, I always try to buy used clothes. I, I've heard too much about, you know, fast fashion, what we're doing to the planet. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I'm really grateful to be able to be part, like the manager of an organization that's keeping some things from landfill. It's a good financial decision for us too, because it keeps our costs really low and so every purchase, 95% of that purchase is going to go to the seamstress who made the oh. product. So if there was a product that sold for $100, 95 of those dollars is going to go to the woman who made it. And that's something that we're really proud of because we think is really unique about our program. That's fantastic. So I think using the fabrics without really having control of what you're getting so much uh, mm-hmm. is interesting from a design standpoint, because it basically pushes you into different places. So your storefront is always going to be changing a little bit. Mm-hmm. It also gives you and the sewers uh, a chance to explore something new, either from a design standpoint or from a material standpoint. So they become, and if you're still using the same fabric over and over again, you have a fairly small repertoire of what you 
what you're going to become good at. But if you keep mixing it up, you're going to develop those skills. And I think that's a kind of another good point is, is having skilled craftspeople that can pass on their, their information and their skills is so valuable. And so it's great that, you know, we're not losing those skills and you can repurpose them like that. Yeah, that's really true. One of my big goals is to increase our sales so that the seamstresses can make more money. But then there's sort of a two-pronged approach to this being a business venture for them. There's what they make for us and what we sell. And then there's also, as, as more people learn about Shop Refugee, more business owners are coming to us for sewing and also looking for skilled seamstresses. So, and I think that honestly, out of the two, I think it's a little more glamorous to start this brand and do all of that. But I think the more sustainable route is that their names are getting out there and their skills are getting out there. and People are starting to know about these seamstresses for their skills. That sounds like a great uh, kind of a twofer. It's, it's you're able to do both. You don't really have to compete against yourself holding on to the best seamstresses because you're going to, you have, I assume you have a pretty good, do you have a waiting list for the program? We do. Oh, you yeah. do? Okay, okay. I think I have right. six or eight people on the waiting list right now. So you can come up and train them and then they, you, know, you can use them for the shop for a while, but then they can also use it as a stepping stone to, to some other place. And it's, it's great to have both of those without really be competing against yourself. You, and, and that will only grow your brand. Mm-hmm. I love that about the brand. There's really not any competition element. You know, It's just trying to uplift people and help people grow and help them move to the next step. One of our seamstresses did quit completely with Shop Refugee to go do a full-time sewing job, and that's really awesome for her. Another seamstress is still sewing for us, but she got to go and join a hat business part-time called Noggin Boss. They make um, really oversized hats. So it's like you think of like a ball cap, and then you think Mm -hmm. of that maybe like four times larger. It's a promotional material. Oh, no. Yeah, they need help sewing patches on the front of it. So she actually just started with them a couple of weeks ago. And that business has been really accommodating to us. And as they scale, they're hoping to scale with our seamstresses as the primary workforce. So we're really excited about that. Oh, that's fantastic. And that, so, that so- may seem like it's just uh, for promotional purposes, but the more shade you have here in Phoenix, the better. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Again, it's really comical like if you look it up it's called noggin boss as soon as you see the photo you will just you'll just laugh everybody does you just kind of like burst out with a chuckle because it's so extremely large oh my gosh i'll have to look at that i've never seen anything like it it was on shark tank you were talking about the employment status and that was one of the things i was curious about did you have any regulatory issues that you had you had to deal with when you were setting up the the studio and are your employ are they considered employees? Are they contractors or how does all that work? Well, all our seamstresses are contract workers. So we front them the materials and everything up front. They go home, they make them in their own homes most of the time, and then they bring back finished product that I market. And so once it sells, then they're paid that 95%. Okay. So in that way, most of the work actually isn't happening in the studio. It's really more of a teaching space. Okay. I was wondering about that because you said the capacity seemed to have gone, you know, to like 20 or so. And yeah. I didn't know, like, are they, in my mind, it was like, oh, is this a space they kind of claim for X amount of time and then they can go to the space and, and create? 
Yeah, it's less like a workshop currently and more like a classroom. Got it. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. When you said that they take the materials home and go home to their own space and create, the first thing that flashed my mind was that's exactly how the bead trade in Italy started in Murano and Venice. And like in some of the um, mixes of the glass were so proprietary, but they would give the women, they were primarily women who would take the stuff to their home spaces and create the beads and then bring them back to the glass manufacturers. And I just had that flash. Wow, I think I it's, it's just, that. yeah, I think it's really interesting because I like that kind of almost like an anthropological thread. Like we always kind of do the same thing as women like creating and, and bringing things back. And I was always fascinated by that. I think still to this day in a lot of the shops, like a lot of the Murano glass is, is made not in a shop. It's made in someone's home studio. And it works really well for our women. A lot of them are mothers. Of course. And mm-hmm. a lot of their counterpart is at work full-time, maybe more than full-time. A lot of refugees work a lot more than 40 hours a week to make ends meet. And so it's a really accessible option for a lot of these moms to be able to take things home and then still take care of their families uh, while they're working on their job. I really love the model. I think it it wasn't all designed quite that intelligently, quite that knowingly, (laughs) but it's all just sort of panned out to just make a lot of sense for- Beautiful for our ladies. And it sounds like another win-win. It sounds like everything you talk about is just, you have a a double win. It's not just one thing that works out. It's, it's two things that, you know, it saves you some, some, some of the regulatory headaches of having a workshop to run. uh, And it also gives these people more flexibility in their, in their work Mm -hmm. hours. So I know, you know, one of the nice things about working on a piece like that, you can leave the sewing machine and then come back five or 10 minutes later or an hour later. And it's, it's not a big problem. So it's one of the reasons, um, my wife's a veterinarian and um, I was, when we were in school, I was working as a bike mechanic and I always preferred doing the bike mechanic thing. Cause at the end of the day, I could just leave the bike half done. <laughs> Whereas she couldn't, she couldn't leave the cat half done. You know, they're, they're in it until it's over. You can't just leave them on the table, half, half disassembled. Now you got to put it back together. <laughs> Sorry. I, I don't know why that was making me, I thought maybe because you're. Maybe because my, my cat showed holding, up. <laughs> yeah, cat we have showed. a, uh, second guest on the show this is cookie hi cookie Cookie. it's it's nice to have you on cookie we'll send you a release form so you can also be a participant (laughs) Catherine, i don't know if you've ever seen cookie around he runs around the neighborhood but i feel like it wouldn't be past my imagination that you might have seen him before oh maybe there was a white cat well i think cookie's prettier than the white cat that's currently calling my backyard his home okay Yeah. Uh, Grace, what do you have a background in business? I don't. It's something that started for me uh, right after I got married. I had bought a wedding arch for my for my wedding and I decided that I was going to pay myself back. So I started (laughs) renting out the wedding arch to other (laughs) weddings. And I just thought that that was just marvelous. I just had so much fun renting out my wedding arch and just making an investment that then later made money. And I was like, why have I never tried to do this before? I don't know. And so that was the beginning of a venture into business. My husband and I started thinking about starting a couple of different businesses and even, you know, started an LLC, started a bank account, got all the URLs reserved and everything like that, like reserved our domain names. Those didn't end up panning out, but I feel like it's, you know, it's all, it all just kind of leads into something else. And I think it was preparing me to take over Shop Refugee and Mm -hmm. um, 
yeah, around that time, my bosses knew that I was wanting to start a couple of businesses on the side. And that was one thing that convinced them that I would be a good fit for this job. And it's just been really fun. Sounds like you got the bug. I got the buck? The, the bug. bug. Oh, the bug. Yes. <laughs> You're infected by entrepreneurialism. Yeah. I got that out. Yeah. I. And that, you I, know, even though if they don't always work out, it's, it's another skill for your quiver of arrows, right? It's another arrow you can put in your quiver, uh, something else you know how to do. Exactly. And one of those next steps might be podcasting because they, there's a number of things you need to do podcasting, but none of them are particularly deep, right? So you have to set up a couple of things, <laughs> but it's not that, it's not that, this isn't terribly difficult. I know, I know it sounds amazing, I know, <laughs> but uh, really almost anybody can do it. Almost. I started a new job this week, actually. I just got a little side hustle doing marketing because a boss's wife has a small counseling practice and he had seen what I'd done with Shop Refugee and she needed someone to do just a few hours of marketing a week. So like, if you had asked me a year and a half ago, would I ever have a side hustle marketing? I would say absolutely not. I don't know anything about that, but you know, just one thing leads to another and you gain experiences. And again, I just love starting things and I love having a vision for something and trying to bring that to fruition. So I'm having a great time. I'm just right. having a blast. I love it. That's great. That is great. I think it's worth mentioning. It seems like we are talking about a lot of the details, but just overall, I want to say how impressed I am and grateful and thankful I am to go 10 and, and also shop refugee that they're addressing the refugees and helping them integrate into society. And I've always felt deeply that as America, that's in our DNA is to allow other people to come here and restart their lives over again and help them out. And I think it's one of the areas that we, we fail at. We don't do it nearly as much as we could. I think we have a tremendous capacity to take refugees and, and we take just a fraction of what we could and, and should be taking. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to thank you for that. And I was, I was wondering in, in that, do you see like a, like a spike in influxes at any given time? Is there been like when Afghanistan was overrun recently or last year by the Taliban, did you see that uh, a spike in, in refugees after that? For sure. For sure. There's actually a special term for people coming from Afghanistan af right after the Taliban took over and they're called parolees. I don't want this to seem nitpicky, but Something that I try to educate people on is that refugee is actually a legal status. I think that oh. that is a really big misconception in America. People think refugee is synonymous with immigrant or migrant and all of these different names. They have different connotations that come mm -hmm. with them, but refugee is actually a legal status. So something interesting that happened when the Taliban took over is that the Afghans who were brought over under that circumstance, mm -hmm. they created a whole new classification for them mm. and it's called parolees. And um, that's because they didn't go through all of the security and processes that refugees go oh, through okay. ahead of time. The reason it's called a parolee is they're here on a trial basis while they're uh, security is further investigated. There was an initial security check, but to do the complete security check that would be taken in account for a refugee, mm -hmm. it's going to take a lot longer. So the parolees have about two years here to get legal status and for all of that to finish for them. Mm -hmm. So, but we did see a huge spike. It was also unique in that usually refugees, when they come here, are immediately settled into apartments and housing. But the parolees, because it was such a mass influx, 
were housed in hotels around mm. the valley and all around the United States. So Chandler had a lot of parolee hotels. There was a parolee hotel in Scottsdale that we ended up starting an English class in. And it was a whole different experience. It was really unique. I've never seen anything like it. I think it's the closest thing to a refugee camp that I've ever seen with my own eyes in America. Mm -hmm. Definitely better than a refugee camp. I mean, (laughs) but so yeah, there was a big influx and we're still accommodating those parolees, still integrating them into our English classes and sewing classes and art classes and other things that we have. We're just starting a new position at Go10, which is trying to connect business owners who want to hire refugees with refugees looking for jobs. And I think that that particular group of people, the parolees are going to be some of the biggest beneficiaries of that. But overall, we're seeing a lot of success. They're a special group too, because a lot of the people in those families already spoke English. That's why they were involved at all with the U.S. government, often as translators or working in government buildings. So most of those families have at least one person with not just okay, but great English. And so that's really helped them acclimate a lot faster than some other groups of people that you would typically see in a refugee population. Mm -hmm. Uh, So Mm -hmm. a really unique group. And we've definitely seen a lot of them. So what does the program need most? If you could reach out and ask people for something or have a wish list. What do you guys need? What we need most right now is to grow our customer base. We have a lot of products. We have really great quality products. And our biggest effort right now is getting the word out that it exists. We believe that the more people that knew about Shop Refugee, the more people would buy it. It's a really likable product. It's an amazing story. People love supporting refugees. And I think the vast majority of people wish they could do more for refugees. So When people find out about Shop Refugee, we see a really good response. It's just making sure that people know about it. So I would say buying from Shop Refugee, sharing Shop Refugee, letting other people know about Shop Refugee, that would be, by and large, the biggest help. Towards that end, also, just selfishly to people who are looking to buy bags right now, because a lot of what you have on the site, or at least caught my eye, I wasn't so much interested in the scrunchies for my own use. (laughs) Um, Maybe after a few more months of hair growth, but not right now. Uh, the bags look fantastic, though. I, I really I, I think they look great. And I think one of the reasons they do is because if you go on Amazon and look for shopping bags, they all tend to look alike. And the, there's just a nice range of aesthetic. And and the aesthetic on on Shop Refugee is I don't know how to say this. It just I felt myself drawn to those more quickly and to more of them and more quickly than I, I would in most places I go shopping. Oh. Thanks so much. So I thought the materials choices and and the design layouts were really nice. Thank you. And we are also, we're kind of shifting our aesthetic a little bit. We're trying to have more neutrals and more masculine, like traditionally masculine type prints and things like that. By and large, our products are made from donated fabric. And by and large, the people who donate fabric are middle-aged women. So our products then end up being marketable to middle-aged women. It's a It's a cycle that makes sense in and of itself, but as we're spreading out and we're getting materials from places like city serve and locals and people are even asking, you know, what are you really looking for? Mm -hmm. We're able to get in some more like neutrals and more gender neutral type colors, 
And I'm not, I'm not a fan of neutrals. I, you know, give me something spicy. Not just you. <laughs> just, there's a lot of people who are like, man, these prints are loud for me, you know? Wow. Um, and so oh, I think they're beautiful. I love, I love them. I love them too. Uh, but I just want it to be marketable to really anybody. I think we've got to market our story. We have our brand, but the fabric isn't the main part of the brand. The story is the brand. The story so, is the brand, right? Yeah. So anybody who wants to participate in this story, I want to give them an opportunity to do that. So I'm really trying to spread out and give a lot of different styles that people can buy. You can make the brand. You can change this, the fabric of society. You just go get The Rock to model these things for you and they'll look masculine and people will start buying them. <laughs> that had not occurred to me. I had not. <laughs> oh, I, I, I am just a fountain of ideas. They're usually not very good, but not I have a lot of sometimes. Yeah. Nice, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Always the support from Catherine. Always the support. I know I'm just the support. I'm just the, I'm the rock actually. I don't, I don't suppose you take requests for items. Like if someone had a, a, a custom item they needed making, do you, would you be, guys be able to handle that? Yeah, we, we do take custom oh, items. Okay. It would, Fantastic. it would be negotiable. Like okay. if you're like, I need a house made out of fabric. I can't do that. But <laughs> If you needed a specific type of bag, I could probably make that happen. Cool. Now you say that, but there's a type of dome home, which is actually sprayed concrete. And the very first thing they start with is creating a fabric uh, shell for it. They blow up the fabric shell and then from the inside, they spray concrete on it. So it basically starts with fabric. It's kind of like a big bag. If you could give me a pattern, I could see what I could do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can. I mean, they're, they're usually pretty simple. They start off with, with basically just a, a dome with a couple of cutouts for windows, but that's how it starts. Wow. That's funny, James. That's, that's the thing. corrected. <laughs> I have. A, yeah, he is a wealth of, of, of silly information. What, silly information. Um, I have a background in woodworking and metalworking, but I also have a sewing machine. And that's one of the best tools I have because it's this, one of the smallest. It's easiest to carry around and it's so flexible what it can do. You can make so many different things with a sewing machine. You know, if you have a welder, there's not a lot you can do with a welder other than weld bits of metal together. You can't wear around. You know, generally, most people aren't wear, wear, walking around wearing metal armor, but I guess to each his own. I have a question in terms of like expanding the customer base because currently you're selling on Shopify, correct? Yes. Okay. Um, have you thought about getting out into the community and doing any farmers markets? We do like to do markets. Yeah. Okay, good. Uh, we haven't been able to become a consistent vendor at any one market yet. Mm. And that's not something that honestly we've put the most effort into mm -hmm. uh, because a lot of markets, it makes the most sense to go every week. It does. And our hours have just been really booked up just trying to keep the program running, mm -hmm. but we do intermittent markets. Let me try to think about what markets we've done. I'm kind of blinking, but there was a, there was a world refugee day event that was held at Phoenix college just oh. a, about a month ago. And so we were there selling our products. Go 10 itself has not in the summer, but most months we do an all day Saturday event, which is sort of an educational event about refugees. And then also a sort of volunteer orientation for people who are considering to come volunteer with us. Mm -hmm. So we sell at those. Oh, good. What I've really been working on lately is trying to get into more retail spaces in the mm -hmm. Valley. So Cultivate Coffee has a retail space within their coffee shop. We sell there. Gather Phoenix, which is downtown. Mm -hmm. They just started carrying our products about a month ago, and that's been really successful. 
SBC bookstore in Scottsdale. They have been carrying our products for probably about six months now, and that's been great. So I'm really trying to create more passive streams of income for the Mm -hmm. women and yes, do markets as well. But as much as I can build myself out of it, I'm really trying to, so that whether I'm there or not, it would continue to succeed. And so a lot of people want us to do markets and we are interested in doing markets, but I feel the more that we rely on being in a certain place at a certain time, the more we sort of build ourselves into the framework of it. But if I can create these relationships between the brand and existing retail spaces. Mm -hmm. And then I'm hoping that that can be more consistent over a longer period of time. I think that's very smart. Yeah, it seems like like always the win-win, a lot of synergies Mm -hmm. in the good way. But I'm curious, so you moved here about four years ago? Yes. Where are you coming from? I moved from Knoxville, Tennessee. Mm, Okay, so you had some familiarity with heat. Yeah, it's it's fairly moderate. I grew up in Illinois. That's where I spent the Ah, most time. Okay. The funny thing about Illinois is that it's very cold and very hot Mm -hmm. at different times in the year. I mean, it's definitely different. I've never experienced 116 degree heat before moving here. (laughs) That's something special. Yeah, that's unique about this place. I I know what you mean about Illinois. I lived in Minnesota for a few years and it was kind of shocking and a little discouraging how cold it could get in the winters, but then how really hot it could get in the summers as well. Not for very long, but still. Yeah. They used to send us home early from school because of heat. Heat days. Wow. Yeah. So it gets that at least that hot which people don't always think of like up north a little bit but it's like moderate like when people say moderate they mean you kind of like stay in the middle but it's almost like marginal it's like on the edges is what Mm -hmm. we have in illinois yeah it's 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 all relative yeah have there been any challenges living here well i really hate the cold so i've really welcomed phoenix with open arms i'm so excited to not be cold five six months out of the year Compared to many other people I've met who have moved here, I feel a lot more positively about my move than many do. Um, I would just say how often I have to buy tires and car batteries. (laughs) Car batteries. Car batteries. It eats them up. It eats them up. It does. Yeah. Phoenix just eats up windshield wiper blades, car batteries, and tires way more than I'm used to. With the tires, you have to be careful. You have to make sure that you're buying new tires because I got I got kind of scammed by the local Toyota dealer here. The last time I bought tires from them, they sold me tires that I think were already two years old. I didn't realize it oh. at the time, but I just had them replaced a couple of months ago and they were only lasted two years because they were in fact not two years old, but four years old. Yeah. So always check. They, they do have a freshness date. So you got to make sure you know you're buying actually new tires as opposed to used tires. Uh, and the batteries, it's, it's kind of funny. I haven't had any problems with that. In fact, my first battery in my Prius lasted eight years, wow. which apparently was very long, but you know, it seemed all right to me. And that's not, that's not the Prius battery. It's not the hybrid battery. That's the, a regular 12 volt, like everyone else, like everyone other the car has. That was just the regular 12 volt battery. In thinking about uh, Shop Refugee, uh, was there anything that you look back on with uh, a lot of pride or that you thought was interesting or surprising that that happened. It sounds like a lot of it, like almost every day, that kind of thing happens. You, you get a lot of these synergies and, and win-wins, but anything in particular that stands out to you? I think the thing that I'm most proud of is when the training that women have received at Shop Refugee translates into a new job and mm-hmm. their new supervisor is really impressed with their skills. And I would say so far, that's only happened for a couple of women that They've moved on from Shop Refugee to another job. So it's almost 
partly an aspirational pride because I, I know about at least two different businesses that are going through the process right now of making a plan with us to hire our seamstresses. I also feel a lot of pride about that, about the opportunities that I know that are coming for the women and just giving them an opportunity to work as much as they want to. If they only want to work 10 hours a week and that works for them, that's fine. But if they want to do three different jobs and do different types of work, I'm really excited to be able to offer them that opportunity in an honorable way at an honorable wage. I think that's what I'm most proud of is when they take their sewing skills outside of Shop Refugee and find independent success. That seems like it would be really fulfilling. Exactly. It's an impressive job. And I I think you've done, it sounds, well, just looking at the shop, it seems like you guys have done a great job so far. Thank you. It's very impressive. Kind of excited to see how it continues. Me too. I am. I'm really excited. (laughs) So you'll probably be way too famous to come back in a year, but if you're... If you have a few moments to spare for Lowly Subrant in a year from now, maybe we can revisit, see what's going on. Yeah, that would that would be fun. Like a year later, where did they go? You know, what where what are they now? Where are they where now? Are they now? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I don't think this is gonna make me famous, but I I do hope Shop Refugee does become famous. I hope it becomes a famous brand. Have you guys have heard of uh Rafa House? I say that again. Rafa House. I have not. But then I don't hear most things, so that doesn't mean doesn't. <laughs> so mean there's a brand. There's a brand called Rafa House. Um, it came to my attention when I was still a kid, but it was when like sex trafficking was coming into the public mind. I feel mm-hmm. like knowing that people got into sex trafficking and trying to get people out of it, and so Rafa House was helping people get out of sex trafficking. And then they also make sewn products that create an honorable employment for people Mm -hmm. who were previously sex trafficked and then are looking for a new way to make money and be out of that. So I feel like Rafa House, a lot of people have heard of it. A lot of people bring up Rafa House to me when they hear about our sewing program, just in that it's a it's a nonprofit sewing business. I hope that one day we could even be like Rafa House is what I was going to say, just kind of like a household name that a lot of people know about that people would kind of bring up like, Oh, like shop refugee. You know, I, I would <laughs> love for that to be the case. Well, I, you know, that doesn't seem like it's that far of a stretch. I think you, like I said, it seems like you've had a lot of successes right. and it seems like there's just a lot of success that's built into the program. A lot of, a lot of opportunity and potential there. Right. A lot of good energy and synergy. I'm just sensing that's all rolling together, like this big ball that just keeps getting bigger and bigger and more successful. I just have, that's the energy I'm getting. And I think it's, I'm really impressed. Well, thanks. It's, it's exciting to be a part of, I really, I can take credit for the effort that I put into it, but I can't take credit for all the different people who have just responded really well to it and are coming together to make it a successful growth process and a successful program. So I'm really grateful to be a part of it. And I'm, I, I find it really exciting and really fulfilling and I really like doing it. Is there anything else you want to say? Anything specifically you need? I would say maybe just that we do accept donations. So if there's anybody out there who has fabric or thread and would like to contribute in some way, we definitely accept donations. They can uh, find the email or the phone number on our website, shoprefugee.com and reach out that way. And I would be happy to organize a plan to receive those donations and put them to use. Do you need any instructors for that? Uh, We do accept volunteers. Yeah. 
in our fall semester, which is going to start August 18th. I could definitely use uh, some new volunteers. We meet on Thursdays at nine and 1030. That's so good to know. the phone number on the website is a great way to contact me if you're interested okay, in that. Good. And you also have that English program where you're teaching them English. Uh, do you have yes. a, a good supply of instructors there or do you need more instructors for that as well? Yeah, we do need more instructors okay. for that as well. The best way to sign up for that is to fill out an interest form on goten.org, G-O-T-E-N. So there are a lot of ways to, to help out. There are a lot of ways to help out. Great. Well, thank Perfect. you, Grace. Thanks for coming on. Yes, thank you so much, Grace. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And I would love to come back. Just let me know. It was really encouraging to us. We were really excited to go on a podcast. This is my first podcast, Shop Refugees' first podcast. <laughs> first of many, I no doubt. <laughs> first of many, yes. I see a lot of success in the future for you. Inshallah. Uh, that's something that we, people who work with refugees say Muslims say inshallah are you familiar with that I am not it means like if God wills it I God see. willing and oh, inshallah. so okay Muslims love to say inshallah like after everything you're gonna come to my house at 7 p.m inshallah the first of many <laughs> I love it <laughs>